The following is a message by Dr. W. Robert Godfrey from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. God's Word comes to us this morning from Psalm 85, Psalm 85, the Psalm of the Sons of Korah. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. This is God's word. Let us pray. Our faithful Father, for the life that we have in Christ Jesus, who clothed us in his righteousness and transferred us from wrath to life, for the calling we have received to proclaim and teach the good news of your salvation, and for the incredible opportunity to learn and grow in preparation for your kingdom's work. For all these things, we give you thanks. Give us this day a great growing desire to know you and your word, so that we may be filled with the knowledge and revelation of Christ. Grant to us humility to know that we are dependent upon you and your word for our wisdom and our understanding. Open our minds this morning and our eyes to behold the riches and glories of Christ in whom we have hope and peace. May the words of your servant's mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O God, our Savior. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I hope you came to school today with a measure of anticipation, uh, a measure of eagerness. Perhaps you've already been early in class and uh, are already feeling a little besieged, a little uh, 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 worn out, maybe even. Uh, Getting up early, I always find, is a new discipline to get used to after a summer uh, as one who doesn't uh, rise naturally early. Um, But I hope it is with a certain measure of eager anticipation that you gather this morning. But I recognize that uh, it is also easy for us to face a whole series of uh, distractions as we gather at the beginning of a new school year. Perhaps you're not quite settled into where you're living. Perhaps you're not quite sure about family or about uh, work 
Uh, perhaps uh, you've gotten your first reading list and are feeling somewhat uh, dismayed uh, to find that this is only the list for one or two classes and there are more to come. Uh, perhaps you're wondering how you can get uh, all that reading and all those papers done. And there are a whole range of things that can flood in on us, some of them wonderful, some of them problematic and distracting as we begin a, a, a new school year. And uh, I hope that part of the purpose of our gathering here is to worship God and to let him focus our attention and our thinking as to why we're here. Uh, as human beings, one of the things that's easiest for us to do is to forget the most basic things in life, uh, to get distracted. And so I thought we might focus our attention this morning on the central verse of Psalm 85, uh, verse 8, where the psalmist prays, Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. That's why we're here. That's the focus of our work. It is the eager anticipation, or should be the eager anticipation of each of our hearts as we gather here that we might hear what God has to speak. Now, I do not mean by that that therefore you should rush out to your prayer closet and sit quietly and wait for the Lord to whisper something in your ear. That's not what the psalmist meant. That's not what we're here about. What we're here about is to recognize that the Lord has spoken. And the question is, do we listen to what he has said? And because he has said it and has inscripturated it and it remains true and necessary and vital for us, are we continuing to listen to what the Lord our God is saying? And uh, we need to pray about that. That's what this psalm teaches us. It doesn't come automatically. It doesn't come immediately. It doesn't come for some of us easily. Or it may come easily at one point and then not at another. But I hope that as we study together, as we learn together over the course of this academic year, we will come back again and again to this central point. What we are here for is to hear what the Lord will speak, to know what God is saying. Of course, we live in a world that is full of noise, and full of voices, and full of words, and full of messages. Um, I happen to be a political junkie once every four years and love to listen to political conventions. I know it's sort of a strange kind of addiction. Uh, and uh, we've been hearing just a, a din of words, some of them useful, some of them humorous, some of them dishonest, um, and it's part of the fascination of politics, and the politicians would have us believe that what they are doing is the most important thing in all the world. Now, what they're doing has importance, has value, has significance, but I'd like to suggest to you that what you are doing is the most important thing in all the world. You are coming to listen to God. You are coming to prepare to be able to hear and understand his word better. And you are coming to learn that word better, to listen more carefully to God, so that you may carry that word faithfully into a world that is hearing so many alien voices. 
And so when you face those frustrations, when you face those distractions, when you may feel overwhelmed, don't get discouraged. Remember that you're here above all else to listen to God. And that's a a word that those in the church, those who belong to Christ, need to hear again and again. You remember that in writing to the Hebrew Christians, the author uh, complained to them that they had grown, grown dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. They weren't listening carefully. They weren't hearing clearly. The word wasn't penetrating to them as it ought to. They were not as interested in the word as they ought to be. And so the scriptures appeal to us. Don't become dull of hearing. Those of you who've returned may be tempted to think, well, I know all that already. Those of you who are just beginning may be tempted to think, I know all that already. But this is a marvelous opportunity for us all together to be studying the word more carefully, paying more attention, praying that our ears will be opened. And we have the wonderful opportunity of a community of learning together, a community of learning together in faith, where we can encourage one another, where we can talk to one another. You new students, I hope, will learn that as much learning, maybe more, takes place outside of class as takes in, as you talk to one another. But notice also that this prayer in uh, verse 8 of Psalm 85 is a personal prayer. Although most of the psalm is a psalm of the community, at this moment, the psalmist wants us to pray very individually and very personally. Let me hear what the Lord, what God the Lord will speak. It is ultimately each of us individually who has a responsibility to listen to the Lord, to hear the Lord, to follow the Lord, to teach the word of the Lord. Uh, It's not a responsibility that can be borne by the community alone. The community has responsibility. But this psalm appeals to each of us as individuals to be eager in listening to the Lord. And when we are eager to listen to the Lord, then the community will be blessed. I was struck recently receiving a newsletter from a church pastored by a man I know well and admire uh, greatly. And um, he wrote in this newsletter about an elder friend of his who had just gone through the experience of interviewing a series of young men to be associate pastor in his church. And after these interviews, the elder noted this. He noted that all of the candidates were young, sharp, and hip. He said they all displayed keen wit, winsome personalities, and social finesse. However, he went on to observe none of them seemed to be particularly godly. He did not perceive much spiritual passion, or disciplined devotion, or ethical precision, or a burden for souls, or a controlling love for Christ, or a zeal for the glory of God. They were well-educated, thoroughly trained for ministry, and competent program organizers. They were groomed for success. 
all the necessary ingredients were present. But they lacked spiritual gravitas, the seriousness and focus, the intensity and carefulness that comes from knowing the God of the Bible. Isn't that sad? This is describing young men prepared for the ministry in a Reformed church. They were all set for success, except they didn't have much zeal for the most basic things to which we are called in the Word of God. A passion for God and for the lost and for holiness and for Christ. And this elder, I think, rightly diagnosed the problem, namely that they didn't really know the God of the Bible, which means, of course, they didn't really know the Bible that testifies to that God. I hope you will be successful in the callings to which God calls you, but successful according to God's standard, which is the standard of having listened to him, having heard him, having understood him, having agreed with him, and having gone forth to serve according to that word. And that's only going to happen as we pray, let me hear what God the Lord will speak. That has to be the focus of our work. That has to be our concentration. It doesn't always come easily or automatically, but it's the necessary thing. It's the thing on which the Lord pronounces his blessing. That has to be the focus of our work. I hope also for you it will be the fascination of your work. There should be for you a great joy, a great blessedness, a great anticipation in the opportunity to study the word of God. One of my best friends in the ministry, now retired, once said to me, "Uh, I can't get over the privilege that is mine to be able to give most of my time to studying the word of God and to be paid for it. Um, You're not yet probably being paid for it. Um, But you ought to still be filled with that sense of joy that you're going to have the privilege of time to study the word of God in a way that is not open to most Christians. And that you're going to be able to dig into the word of God to understand it at a new level than is available to most Christians. And although that journey will have its frustrations, as I was preparing uh, this message, I thought uh, once again as I studied Psalm 85, it seems to me there's so much more there than I've actually been able to grasp. Sometimes that's frustrating. But at the same time, it's always fascinating to see how profound, how rich, how rewarding the word of God is uh, when we study it carefully. Uh, It's fascinating that uh, Psalm 85 comes after Psalm 81. That's the kind of thing you're going to pay tuition to learn. Well, it is significant that Psalm 85 comes after Psalm 81. They are both psalms in the middle of book three of the Psalter, a a book of the Psalter in which there's a great expression of crisis amongst the people of God. There is dismay, there is difficulty, there is defeat. 
that the people of God are experiencing. And the Psalms of uh, Book 3 particularly chronicle that in an intense way. And Psalm 81 records the heart of the problem. Verse 8 of Psalm 81, O my people, God speaking, hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me. Why is Israel in the calamitous situation in which it finds itself? It's there because it has failed to listen to the Lord. We go on to verses 10 and 11 of Psalm 81. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. And then we come to Psalm 85 and what do we find? We find that Israel is opening its mouth to appeal to the Lord. It's responding to the problem posed in Psalm 81. They wouldn't pray. They wouldn't ask. Psalm 81 says, and now in Psalm 85 we see they are asking. They are praying. They are opening their mouth. And what are they praying for? Precisely what they lacked in Psalm 81. In Psalm 81 they would not listen and here they pray that they might listen. You see, context is important to understanding the scripture. It should be fascinating to us to see how the Bible is put together. How themes resonate. Even through a book that's often presented as so disjointed as the book of the Psalms. Context is critical. Poetic forms are critical. Part of the fascination we ought to feel as we study the word of God. Now, unfortunately, in a lot of our modern education, poetry isn't a prime subject anymore. And so many of us are not well prepared to sit quietly and listen carefully to poetry and and see the forms and how the forms themselves contribute to the meaning. But listen, it's clear in English, I'm sure clearer in Hebrew. Um, Listen to verses 10 and 11. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. That's what the psalmist is looking forward to. Out of his present distress, after his present sense of the anger of the Lord against them for their deafness, He gives beautiful expression to a coming day of of harmony. When the steadfast love, the chesed, the covenant loyalty of God joins with his faithfulness, when the righteousness of God kisses the peace he has to speak to his people, when faithfulness springs up from the earth and Righteousness looks down from the sky or from heaven. Here are wonderful harmonies that the psalmist gives expression to in this prayer. Harmonies to which he's looking forward. A great day when there will not be this alienation and division 
between God and his people, but a, a great day in which there'll be a restoration of all things, heaven and earth. And in that there will dwell the wonders of God's steadfast love and faithfulness, his righteousness, and his peace. See, we need to meditate on those things, not go over them quickly, not say, oh, yeah, I know all about steadfast love and faithfulness, so let's move on to something interesting. Now, here is the fascination of what our God promises to us. Here is also, you see, the very heart of what our God wants us to hear when he speaks to us. Faithfulness, righteousness, peace, steadfast love. Now, I have not read the political platforms of the Democratic or Republican parties. I'm not sure that anyone has ever read the platforms of the political parties. Uh, I, I suspect platforms are written only to give titles to people who serve on platform committees. Maybe that's excessively cynical, but I doubt it. But I suspect if someone were to prepare a software program, you notice how hip I am with technology, um, which would enable us to do a search of the words in the platforms, words like righteousness, faithfulness, Steadfast love, forgiveness, and peace as a spiritual quantity would not be found in those platforms at all. They are not what the world talks about. They are not the message of the world. They are the message of Christ and his church. They are the message that can remain front and center for the church only as We listen to God as we remain fascinated by his word. Now, for you new students, you need to be forewarned uh, that I am uh, notorious here for liking the Psalms, for believing in the Psalms, for thinking there is a value to singing the Psalms, uh, because after all, it is the Psalter itself that says, your word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. And the Psalter is the word of God. It's not all the word of God, but it is the word of God. But one of the things I most love about the Psalter is that it forces us to think about things, to remember things, to focus on things that the world never talks about and that too often the church fails to talk about. It helps us listen to the word of God. Uh, I was struck also this week by reading a book review in the Wall Street Journal about a new book just coming out entitled Quitting Church. Quitting Church. It's written by a woman reporter who says there is a growing epidemic in her judgment of people leaving evangelical churches. And she offered her reasons why people seem to be leaving evangelical churches. She reports, among other things, a lack of feeling of community among church members, inducing loneliness and boredom, church teaching that fails to go beyond the basics of the faith or to reach members grappling with suffering or unanswered prayer, uh, 
Pastors who are either out of touch with their parishioners or themselves unhappy or who fail to shepherd their flocks or, or who are caught up in a scandal or who try to control the lives of church members in a high-handed way. She claims that many churches have inefficient leadership models and that many preoccupied with the care of families neglect single people. She goes on to say that the church needs better teaching, better preaching, and better pastors who are in touch with the lives of their worshipers. In short, for better churches where community is cultivated, women are taken more seriously and singles can find mates. I think there's a lot to be taken seriously there. I think uh, there are singles. I think of my mother-in-law who is going to be 88. I don't think she's looking for a mate, but she still needs to be ministered to. There's perhaps something of the youth bias in this report. But it's very interesting, isn't it? Better preaching, better teaching, better pastoring, more of a sense of community, of ministering to the whole family of God. Isn't it tragic? The church needs to hear that from the Wall Street Journal. I knew that already by listening to God. And and we need, you see, to have our, our thinking clarified by, in the course of our work here, being over and over again fascinated by the Word of God, confident in the Word of God, assured that the Word of God speaks to the most basic human needs and speaks clearly as to how we need to minister and teach and help in the church. We should be fascinated by the theology of the word of God. Lord, you were favorable to your land. Verse 9, Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in your land. In verse 12, Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and your land will lead its increase. We might ask as we study this psalm, what is, what is this talk about land? How should we understand it? What does it lead our thinking to? Some uh, sincere Christians have concluded, well, that all points to the fact there's a great day coming, a millennial day coming, when all the promises to the land will be fulfilled in Israel. That's the glory to look forward to. Others say there are different ways of thinking about the land. There's a whole book coming out in which numbers of our faculty have contributed to show that this land question is a big question when you come to the Scripture. I think we don't need a whole book to know the basic point being made here. Glory will dwell in the land. Who is the glory of Israel? Who is the glory of the people of God? It is God with us, isn't it? A dwelling leads the pious mind who has listened to God's word immediately to thinking about the temple as the dwelling place of God amongst his people. That was the glory of Israel in its old covenant life. But this psalm, speaking to us as Christians, draws us beyond that land and that temple as pointers, as types of something greater yet to come. And what is the glory we know, the glory that we are privileged to see? It's the glory of the word made flesh, isn't it? 
It's the glory of the word tabernacling, dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth, who will speak peace to his people. The little plot of land in the Near East was a pointer to the new heaven and the new earth in which righteousness dwells, in which all the harmonies of Psalm 85 are at last expressed in their fullness, where it is truly said that righteousness and peace kiss each other. And we are the privileged ones to see that already in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ in, in the ministry of his truth and of his gospel. Let me hear what the Lord will speak. He will speak peace to his people. That's what this world needs above all else, isn't it? To hear a word of peace. Not between one nation and another, as important as that is, as valuable as that is, as useful as that is. But that the word of peace that the world needs is that there might be peace between man and God. That a righteous God might make peace with sinners through the blood of his own son. And it's our privilege here to be able to study, to understand that more fully and more deeply, to try to grasp the the breadth and depth of the biblical revelation on this point, and then to be able to carry it forth into a church with such need to hear it. You see, the focus of our work needs to be listening to God. The fascination of our work needs to be listening to God, and the fruit of our work needs to be that we will be individually and corporately people who now listen to the word of God, who are able to listen more effectively than many in the church are able to do because we've been privileged to study the word of God at a whole new depth. And the fruit of that labor then will be that you will be better prepared to teach and to preach, to evangelize, to speak a word, for Jesus Christ and for the true peace that is in him. And what I hope above all else is, uh, even if you are at the end of your study here not all that winsome uh, or all that hip uh, or all that well-dressed, as important as I think that is, that you will have a passion for the word of God, that you will have a confidence in the word of God, that you will be gripped by a conviction that your calling is to make God known according to his word, not according to what the world will listen to more easily, not according to what the church would like to hear, but will make him known as he has made himself known, that that would be the passion of your heart that you would be prepared for the fact that there are some inside and outside the church who won't want to hear that. Dr. Bergsma, the first uh, teacher of practical theology here at our seminary who still comes back and teaches some courses in the spring, used to say to seminarians heading for the ministry, now remember, boys, that when you get to the church, 5% of the people will hate you before they've ever met you. Now, I can't uh, verify that that statistic is exactly right. Uh, There is no passage in the book of Leviticus that says that, 
Um, But as pastoral wisdom, it alerts us to the fact that as likable as we are, as much as I like myself, there are going to be people who don't like us. They may like us for completely irrational reasons, but some will not like us because we bear the word of God. But our privilege, our privilege is to bear that word, knowing that the word of God will not return to him void, but will accomplish the purpose for which he sends it. And he will accompany it by his Holy Spirit. So it will touch the hearts of those he has appointed to be touched. And that's our confidence. Not that we'll make the world new. But Christ will use each of us in our own way as we have listened faithfully to the world. To gather his elect. So that the appointed time he will come to make all things new. May we go forward with that confidence, with that hope, with that focus with that fascination. And may God grant that each one of us may see that fulfillment in our lives. Let's respond to the word of God uh, by turning in the Trinity hymnal to number 349. And uh, let us stand and sing this as a prayer to our God. Copyright 2008, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way, and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this broadcast on our website is preferred.